Yes, it is I, your humble host, Bill Hatch the Third, coming to you live from the Palatial Love Studios of Wells Post Productions here in the beautiful city of Santa Ana, California. Joining me in studio, as per the usual, for this episode of YWL Online's Totally Approachable Bible Study of for All, is my friend, my brother in Christ, the disembodied voice of Rudy. Hi, everybody. I love you all. Waka waka with the Lord. And joining us from a more than acceptable safe social distance through the miracle of telephony is my father, Chaplain Bill Hatch. How you doing, Pop? Doing very well. And howdy to all my fellow Bible inquisitors. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to throw that in there. Just wanted, well, why not? <laughs> Okay, well, we've got uh, an interesting uh, day ahead of us, uh, full of uh, full of wonderful things, and uh, um, because uh, we're starting a new book, yay! Yay, team! <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, and uh, yeah. But before we get into uh, into that new book, I think we have time for a ready minute. Waka 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 with the Lord. You know what? Uh, this week uh, it is an expire. Uh, expire. What do you get when you uh, expire? I don't know. It's expire. Whatever. Uh, it's a good thing because I've been seeing uh, uh, chosen the uh, uh, revolution of the Jesus revolution. Yeah, uh, Jesus. And uh, I feel I feel good. It feels like uh, you know walking on sunshine. I'm walking on the clouds. And you know what? It feels good because you know it, it brings more. Uh, it brings hope that you know we get a Jesus revolution or something. And then I was watching uh, the Chosen, and uh, even though it doesn't go by the Bible on some of the things, but it shows Jesus as a human talking and stuff. And uh, I always wonder, like, hey, did, did Jesus just walk around stiff and you know do this or do that? So I, I, I know it's not true. But, uh, you know, it gives me a thought that maybe Jesus could have been, like, a, a happier man. Because, you know, you feel that he's just on a mission and he's sad and or uh, he just got through stuff. But uh, this, it's, at least it shows us human. And I hope he, uh, Jesus had a beautiful life. And uh, I truly love him. And I truly uh, love everybody. And I just please love God because he loves us. Thank you very much. Waka, waka, waka with the Lord. <laughs> Some of that, Rudy, your voice broke and went up and down, so I didn't catch all of it. The fact that Jesus did have some happy times on earth. He didn't just walk around depressed. I think it can be pointed out a couple times when he was quite uh, teasing with the disciples. Uh, and yes, he was sad certainly a lot of time. But it was and frustrated. I would think would be a fully human uh, a feeling that he would go through. But <coughs> he did it all for us, and that's what yeah. we get to smile about today for sure. Is that everything he was doing? He was doing for us. Yes, indeed. And uh, yeah, that uh, that chosen is certainly an interesting program. Um, you know, showing uh, showing what might uh, what might have been uh, stories about uh, about uh, the disciples we know very little about, and uh, um, especially and, uh, and 
it's a it's an interesting look into uh, kind of a historical fiction kind of uh, kind yeah. of thing. That's that's a but, good descriptor, Bill. Historical fiction. I mean, when it starts off with who is it? John, the brother of James, being so uh, working things in, trying to not have to pay taxes. Uh, before. Oh, that was Peter. That was actually. Peter. Sorry, that was Peter. Yeah, uh, brother sorry. of Andrew. Uh, you know, and it's just. Oops. You know, and that part is fictional. We don't have any background on it. Um, right. But it doesn't hurt to look at it and say, all right, that's some of the extra stuff. Now, what's the main focus on Jesus? Is it accurate? So far in my watching The Chosen, and I'm way behind, I'm still in season one, uh, <laughs> early in season one, if I may. Okay. Um, you know, we've we've seen a lot of things that that's plausible. I mean, yeah. we don't know when Jesus actually healed Mary Magdalene of her seven spirits. It right. may have been before the collecting of the disciples. But when you look at that, wait a minute, some of the disciples are already online when she holds that first, uh, her first Passover. Uh, right. And so, you know, it's like, hmm, how is this all going to come together? And I haven't given up on the series, but I haven't been very faithfully holding on to it because some of it gets a little far out there. But that's taking away from what we do have knowledge on. And that's what mm -hmm. we have from the scriptures. And that's why we are going to be doing the book of Judges now. Yeah. There, I I, I introduced <laughs> what kind of background things. In particular, Bill, do you have anything in writing that says how long it was from Judges 1-1 uh, through 21-55? Oh, wow. Um, no, but let me... Let me look something up here and see. You can be uh, looking, and, and I will say that generally it's said to be a 250-year time frame, but I don't find that in any of the right. study stuff. So I don't know. I know that some people for a long time were trying to put the judges uh, one after the other after the other, you know, like they were in immediate succession with the timeline stated and Maybe that's where they originally got the 250 years uh, that's believed to be the time of the judges. And newer research has found that actually many of these things were regional and may have been overlapping. But they're told as individual stories. So they might have been oppressed by one group in the north while another one was being uh, oppressed in the south and or right. in the middle. Uh, and it's important to be able to see that kind of stuff. But I can't find any actual how long is this. Oh, oh here we go. Uh, Judges spans about 350 years from Joshua's conquest until Eli and Samuel judged prior to the establishment of the monarchy. Okay. 
So about 1398 B.C. to about 1043. I think it would include Eli and Samuel if we say 350. And it's not a big right. deal, but it helps to see that we're talking a time frame that is longer than the United States has been around. Right. And I'm sure we'll make reference to many, many of the things that we'll look at with these judges and say, ah, okay, I see what you're getting at. The United States is really not doing well when it comes to godliness. But mm -hmm. there's examples of how neither were the Israelites, and they had a lot better reasons for doing it than we do. Uh, no, that's not an excuse for people. It's that we all should be following Christ. Uh, I'm glad I didn't live in the time of the judges. I would not honestly want to, I would hope at that period of time, I would have been a priest or a Levite because while they carried swords to fight, they basically didn't have to during this time. But uh, that's not always true, as we'll see when it comes to the sons of Eli who go out into battle with, with the uh, Ark. But we won't see that till Samuel, so sorry. Never mind. We want judges. <laughs> and it's yes. up to a 350-year time span. It's pretty fair. Mm -hmm. But I was surprised Which... in my study Bible, there's not a reference to a timeline at all. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, in mine there is, and there's also a note uh, that, uh, as far as the Talmud is concerned, it was written by Samuel. Author is largely unknown, but traditionally by Jewish right. tradition, that is, it is Samuel who's given credit. Yes. Uh, it came out of yep. oral traditions that appear the way all the entries seem to be rather fresh. You know, it's not like some of the older stories. I think Babylon, Babel is a, is a reference to an older story uh, mm. that, you know, is handed down through oral tradition because Moses wasn't alive during that time, so he still wrote about it. But there's, there's talking from it. Uh, unfortunately, the book of Judges really paints a very dreadful picture of, I started to say Judah, but it is of the 12 tribes. Um, they really have a very rapid downward decline, both theologically and morally. That yeah. is shown over and over again in this book. By the way, folks, we're, I'm not planning on us getting through two chapters today, but the first two chapters are mostly a double introduction, and that causes some people some difficulty, but it is a double introduction. It's to really show how thorough the author wanted to be in referencing what was going on. Uh, let's see. What else on overview stuff do you have, Bill? Uh, well, uh, that... Uh... They were uh, disobedient and declined morally and spiritually in five different ways. Um, they uh, they failed to drive the Canaanite the Canaanites out. They uh, they turned to idols um, and idolatry in general. Uh, 
Um, they actually married the Canaanites. Um, they didn't listen to the judges. And uh, when, uh, when the judge died, they went completely away from God. Yes, and it will degrade starting with chapter 1 and keep degrading all the way through yep. chapter 21. Um, let's see. I do have that. As the story moves along, things seem to grow worse and worse. Most of the judges themselves are tainted in some way, and they do not quite measure up in their behavior. The Israelites fail to drive out the Canaanites, with exceptions that we will cover in chapter 1, uh, quickly become just like the Canaanites, serving those gods and embracing the morality of those, not just the Canaanites, but of the other uh, nations that they were supposed to drive out. And it gets so bad that at the end, a Levite becomes a leader in idol worship, and he sells out to the highest bidder. I have noticed in my studies that that actually happens earlier in the book or in the time of the judges because it appears that that particular Levite is grandson of Moses. Mm. So, I mean, at least halfway through the period of the judges is when that story might show up, but it's tacked on at the end. And it does indeed get through different levels. Uh, at the beginning, they're fighting the Canaanites, attempting to complete the conquest of God's command. Soon they find themselves oppressed by and at war with the Moabites, the Midianites, the Ammonites. And that's people from outside the land that Israel soundly defeated. Uh, and lo and behold, in chapter 13... And I still do not want to agree with the following, but I'll present it because the study Bible does. And that is, it says in Judges 13 to 16, the Israelites are struggling against a new group, the Philistines, who, like the Israelites, have recently migrated to the region and are trying to take over Canaan. Uh, and then it says at the end of the book, the Israelites are simply uh, killing each other is what happens here in the book right. of Judges. I Back on the Philistine issue, and I'll try to only say it now, and I won't try to get into it again later. This is not the first time the Israel, uh, Philistines are seen in the Bible. Back right. in Genesis, we have quite a bit of interaction between Abraham and the Philistines and also his son Isaac and the Philistines. Uh, right. We also see at the very beginning of the Exodus that God doesn't have them go straight up into the land because of the Philistines and there's war stuff. So they don't go that way. They take another route around it so they avoid the Philistines. The Philistines are there, in my honest opinion. Now we basically know that they come or came from an island called Cathor. And that island, according to things outside the Bible, actually 
the Philistines may have come from an area of southern Europe and gone down there and then moved on over. But what I really focus on in my thinking is that God honors the covenants or the treaties that Abraham made with the Philistines. And as long as they were keeping their side of the bargain, you know, will not war against each other, it wasn't a problem. Right. And so it wasn't until the Philistines really started attacking the Israelites that they become a focus of warring on the side of Judah to drive them out. Sorry, that's my feelings. But, uh, yeah, and really, I think it's that's very much supported by uh, by the facts, but not so much in the commentaries. Uh, I don't think it's right. a, I don't think it should be a new thing, but it's still an important thing to look at once, <laughs> and then we go forward from there. Uh, I also have notes on the pre-study. The book seems to be guided more by literacy and theology, theological concerns than by a desire to present a comprehensive and chronological account of the period. Like I say, I believe some of them really do overlap. The narrative of the judges are arranged roughly along the same south-north trajectory that begins with Judah and ends with Dan. Uh, and that's sort of helps because unless you have a map in front of you, it really is hard to follow all these things. Uh, but that's what you have to have in your mind is a map of Israel uh, at this time in history to be able to see how all the progressions or regressions are going on. Okay, that's what I have for overview, son. Okay. No, that's, uh, that's a pretty good overview. Um Covered uh, covered most everything I had. Sorry about that. Well, then I'll That's let okay. you begin. How's that? I don't have to talk. I will <laughs> warn you. We have two All different right. deaths of Joshua. So this is a double intro. That's why I said we really do have intros right. twice. Okay. So do you want to you want to read uh, do line by line or? Uh, it's not necessary. Uh, hopefully, our okay. listeners have been reading uh, chapters one and two. Although I don't think we're going to get past right. chapter one, so yeah. we can go from there if you like. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Uh, we've got uh, we start out with the death of Joshua. Um, that the sons of Israel asked the Lord something. Uh, but there's a note here uh, in the Amplified that sons of Israel or Israel or Israelites refers to all of the people of the various tribes descended from the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, let's see, who was later renamed Israel by God. Uh, in verses concerning things such as warfare or circumcision, sons of Israel or Israel or Israelites usually refers only to the males. There was not, they were not doing female circumcision. That's for sure. <laughs> no. 
Um, and uh, let's see, uh, tribes of ancient people were identified by the name of their founding ancestor. Therefore, the same general rule applies when referring to individual tribal groups, uh, uh, such as sons of Reuben, Reuben, Reubenites, and so on throughout the book. So, uh, so sons uh, usually means descendants, unless they're talking about warfare or circumcision, and uh, uh, and that depends on who uh, on who they're talking about, uh, whether it's Israel or one of the uh, yep. one of the the tribes, uh, such as Simeon or or something. Yeah, like well, that. yeah, but that's a good start one to start with, Simeon, because we find yeah. that the first one they ask God who should go up, and they start off with Judah. And Judah is smart, right. and they go to Simeon. Now, understand that in the giving, allotting of land, the tribe of Simeon is totally surrounded by the tribe's land of Judah. So it makes a whole lot of sense for Judah to be able to say, Simeon, why don't you go with us and we will fight with each other's battles. And that's the way it starts. What's listed here in verses oh, 3 through 12, or 3 through 11, rather, is the fact of how all the battles are going to start off going. And it goes from best down to the least effective. And we have Judah and Simeon driving out the Canaanites from their territories. They're the only one, they're the ones who have the best report on this quick entry stuff here in chapter one. Because they are never said to live among or have. Canaanites living among them. They drove them all out. The other 10 tribes, not so lucky. And it's only by subtle words that we can see how unlucky they were. Um, but anyway, we also see some, I believe, subtle things that show that the morality of the Israelites is fading from the very beginning. We have the reference in verse, uh, well, it's in what, five and six anyway. The two tribes battle and uh, they fight against Bezek and Adonai Bezek. That's God King, right? Adonai? Uh, of the land, they pursued yeah. him, they caught him uh, grossly, they cut off his thumbs and big toes. And then right. we find out that he had done that to, what was it, 70 kings? Uh, yeah, 70 kings with their thumbs and kings, big toes yeah. that he had cut off of others and let them literally begged for scraps under his table. And the Israelites right. cut off his thumbs and toes. It says that they take him. Uh, let's see, where did it go? Pick up, Sam. 
They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Now, we're jumping forward quite a bit because it's brought him to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has not been right. conquered yet here in chapter 1, uh, even though it does say, I'll take that back, the Israel, Judah and Simeon did attack and conquer Jerusalem, but it was not in their land situations. And by the end of the chapter, we will see that Dan was apparently they, the Jebusites got back into Jerusalem and didn't give it up till the time of David. But here we have this guy there, and it says that this king just died in Jerusalem. It doesn't say he was put to death. And I know killing and whatnot is not in our preview anymore, and I'm glad. But God had told them to destroy all these folks, not to let them live. And it really does sound like they let him live instead of being executed since he wasn't killed in battle. And I think that's starting to show the immorality already. Well, considering that God didn't tell them even to... Uh... To cut off Bezik's uh, uh, thumbs and toes, um, you know, and they did this, this which was kind of a, a terrible thing to do. We kind of have little steps, baby steps, moving toward, uh, moving away from uh, from God yes. and His instructions. You know, God did say to uh, to destroy them utterly. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, so having him, uh, having him begging for scraps under their, uh, under their tables, uh, definitely doesn't seem to be, uh, uh, within, uh, within God's, yeah, it, uh, it, God didn't say torture them without any doubt. Right. So we have that. And I think it's important for us to be able to see it, being able to say, all right, some of the morality is already going south. And that's really mm -hmm. sad. Um, it's in verse 8 where it talks about Jerusalem being captured, uh, put it to the sword, and set the city yeah. on fire. But that's Jerusalem. And we find over in uh, verse 21, uh, the Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So somehow during this time period, it just gets acquired back by the Jebusites. Um, right. Let's see, where was... There's more talking about what happens in Judah. Then I have a note on verse 12 that I really wanted to point out also, uh, and that's Caleb. Remember, Caleb is one of the two men. He's elderly now because... He was, yeah. Up, up, yeah, the producer who just came in said, now he's dead. Sweetheart, may I please? Uh, I'm asking her to please bring me some more coffee. Anyway, Caleb is one of the two oldest people in the realm as far as the head of the right. tribes. Joshua has already died, apparently. Because again, we have the yeah. double references in this in these first two chapters. 
but Caleb says, puts out the call that anybody who will fight and capture Kirith Sefer, or Sefer, uh, I will give my daughter Aksha to him as a wife. Who should do the conquering? His nephew. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. His nephew. Direct bloodline. Get some cousins. And lo and behold, we have direct bloodline to the daughter and to the first cousin. <laughs> Uh, this right. appears to me to be against Leviticus 18 and 19. And so mm -hmm. it's like we see, I think we see some moral decay already that's happening. Uh, and that's worth our looking at. I looked it up before, uh, just very much before the show, and I asked Siri... Everybody can applaud for me that I actually did it, but I asked her to find me information about here in the United States, and I was surprised to find out that 24 of our states allow first cousin marriages, uh, which I was really surprised about. And we certainly see it in yeah. European history among the monarchs. I mean, if you look at right. Queen Elizabeth I, I mean, she had uh, sons and daughters married and intermarried with German royalty. Uh, you can look at it even to Elizabeth II being married to Philip, uh, who was actually in line with those various groups to be king of any of them. And he chose to marry Elizabeth because they really did fall in love. And uh, so we see this intermarriage stuff. But the Bible says not to marry close relatives. It gets very specific with mm -hmm. certain ones. But I couldn't find it anything about first cousins other than don't marry near relatives. Close and Caleb just says, right. okay, this is happening. Caleb really did love his daughter. We'll get to that because he gives her some wells of water uh, in support of her. And then that little story is there that she went riding. Uh, let's see. So as she got off, yeah, she went to her father and asked for springs of water. And lo and behold, he bequeathed that area to his daughter and son-in-law as well. Um. You have anything on that section, Bill? Um, nothing that we haven't uh, we haven't already talked about. Um, yeah, the the close relative thing uh, does definitely bother me since Caleb and uh, and Joshua were uh, originally the the faithful ones of uh, of the people and survived the uh, beyond the the forty years in the desert, um, making Caleb. Uh, Probably the old, well, the oldest man for sure in uh, at this time in uh, in Israel, and uh, probably one of the oldest uh, people yep. people in general. Um, yeah, he would have been pretty old. Yes, he would have been. Without a for doubt, an I mean, we're told that Joshua dies at the age of one hundred and ten. Yeah. Uh, 
And right. he and Caleb were contemporaries, I think, within years of each other, like uh, Aaron and Moses right. would have been just three years apart in their ages. I think Caleb and Joshua mm -hmm. are similarly set up that way. Can't prove it. It's just something that, that right. we believe. Nope. Um, right. I don't know that I want to say <clears throat> anything more about Judah and Simeon's success in conquering the Canaanites. But it is important the way the Good. study Bible references it is that because there is no reference to Canaanites any longer living in Judah or Simeon, uh, whether they were living, well, I'll get to it more in a while. I think I'll get to it more in a while, but it's the subtle wording that makes the differences. And so we go from there. So we're right. at verse 21. And again, this is referring back, but we're talking about the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites have lived among the Benjamites in Jerusalem to this day. Remember, if it's Samuel who's writing this, it's not until David actually drives, destroys the Jebusites for the last time in Jerusalem. Remember, I was talking about directions. Sorry? That kind of gives us... That kind of gives us a limit as far as uh, how uh, how late True. this could have been. But it, to this day, gives a hint that it's certainly before um, David. So we're focusing still on Samuel. Right. Remember trying to have the map in your eye. We're going from south to north when we're describing all these things. Mm -hmm. We're also going from the most successful down to the least successful of the tribes in their efforts to drive mm. out their enemies. So if we have Judah first on this level, right. the next level is the tribe of Benjamin. That's where they're going to be at. And it says that they were not successful driving out the Jebusites. And it does say that the Jebusites have lived among the Benjamites in Jerusalem to this day. According to the study Bible, and I don't disagree with it, it means the phrase, the Jebusites lived among the Benjamites, means that the Benjamites were at least successful in suppressing the Jebusites. They didn't get rid of them, but they at least got the upper hand on them. And we'll see how that does not work for many of the other tribes. Uh, Bill, would you read, unless you have a note on that. Okay. No. No, I was just looking at, uh, at the uh, map. <laughs> go ahead and read 22 through 26, please. Okay. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. The house of Joseph spied out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will treat you kindly. So he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. 
But they let the man and all his family go free. The man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and named it Luz, which is its okay. name to this day. I failed to point out that Benjamin didn't ask anybody else for help. They were not successful right. in following God's command about driving out the Jebusites that were in their land. Here in the house of Joseph with Ephraim and Manasseh, we do have the two brother tribes helping each other. It is apparently only the Manassehites, the half-tribe that's on the uh, east side of the Jordan, that is working with Ephraim to drive out their enemies. Mm -hmm. And they have to not, they aren't able to do it on their own. They literally are compromising, right. even to the point of accepting help from uh, one of the men of Bethel. They make an agreement with him, sort of like Rahab, sort of not. Uh, but they get information from yeah. him and promise that they will allow he and his family to go free. Uh, they do attack the city. They do destroy it, but they let this guy go. And lo and behold, all he does is move and reestablish the city. So again, we are seeing some of the... They're not completing God's commands. And that's important again for us today, not in destroying people, praise the Lord, but are we following God's commands or are we being grocery uh, store Christians going up and down the aisles of the book and saying, well, I like this part and I can follow it. I don't like that part, so I'm not going to take any of it. That's not the purpose in our lives. We are supposed to definitely follow God's commands from the New Testament perspective of Jesus, saying that, no, we don't, get, don't have to kill anybody anymore. We don't have to do any sacrifices anymore, to which I still say, praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a son who is a great hunter, truthfully. Uh, and I don't mind that because he does it for food, not for trophy. Although he has mounted a couple of the heads, which, oh, well. <laughs> but it's still for to provide food for the family. And that I fully agree with. Mm -hmm. But still, we see this moral decay that is going on. And because of the way it lifts, now, I wanted to go for the subtle words first, uh, if it's here. Uh, nope, it doesn't even say it here about who lives among them or they live among others. So we'll go on. Verses 27 and 28. Would you please, Bill? Sure. One second. I was just checking the time. 27 and 28. 
But the tribe of Manasseh did not take possession of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and yeah. its villages. Oh, there's an important name. So the Canaanites remained in that land. And the next. Yeah, you keep going. Yep. Oh, and 28. Uh, it happened when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them Which out Which means they failed to finish what God told them. And it gave it certainly uh, right. for Manasseh that way. They dwelt among the Israelites, meaning, oh, that's a cute picture. That stifling right. was wrinkled nose and all. Uh, all right. <laughs> they were made to be forced laborers later on, but that's still not doing what God commanded. Mm -hmm. And it does not say even right. that they were made to worship the Lord. Okay, so they're there. Right. Now the other... Yeah, now Ephraim, the one that's the full tribe on the east side, at the time Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived among them in Gezer. Again, it's the Canaanites living among the Israelites. Hand over the mouth. There you go, son. I can teach you still. Yep. Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron or the residents of Nashol. So the Canaanites lived among them and served as forced labor. So again, we have the Israelites are at least over them, but they did not follow God's command. Um, let's see, I have some notes at the bottom. I've probably been skipping. Darn it. Uh Haven't gotten to that note, and it's an important one, so I want to make sure we see it. Uh, at that time, nope, we're to Zebulun in verse 30. Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron or the, I said that one. Chaplain, come on, pay attention. So we're to Asher. Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko or of Sidon or Ahalab, Ashzib. Helba, Aphek, or Rehob. The Asherites lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land because they failed to drive them out. Subtle word changes, but now it's the tribe of Asher living among the Canaanites, not the Canaanites living among the tribe of Asher. There were. Well, there's and a lot of cities I'm sure they there. were not small ones. Naphtali no. did not no. drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh mm -hmm. or the residents of Beth Anath. They lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land. But the residents of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath served as their forced labor. So we have a little bit of success by Naphtali, right. but they're still living among the Canaanites. So the Canaanites definitely have uh, the upper hand and 
Again, no following of God. All right. Verses 34. I think this is very important to see if you understand. We've been talking about the map and the progression south to north. If you go back to the directions mm -hmm. of the allotting of the lands that literally start in Genesis but are laid out in Exodus, what we find is on that map, mm -hmm. originally Dan is supposed to be south of Judah. They never make it there. Right. And that's what we're going to be told in verse 34 and 35. The Ammonites forced the Danites into the hill country and did not allow them to go down into the yeah, valley. Amorites. What did you say? Amorites, Amorites, not Ammonites. Little print, R's and N's are very easy yes. to mix up. Uh, <laughs> the Ammonites were determined to stay in Har, yeah, right, Harhurses, Ajalon, and Shamblin. When the house of Joseph got the upper hand, the Ammonites were made to serve as forced labor, but that's later on, I guess. The territory of the Amorites extended from, and there's some bases there. But the Danites couldn't even get into their own country, or their own assignment. And then from going from south, it appears that they right. go all the way up north, and they're in the hill country where they can't do much uh, for quite a while. <clears throat> right. Um, well, it says here uh, in mine um, that uh, uh, that the uh, Amorites, as well as other Canaanites, probably had iron chariots. And that's yes, and that's more of an excuse because there are several references throughout that say that iron chariots were right. overcome um, when they were west of yeah. the Jordan, for instance. I think it's Cheyenne had 900 mm -hmm. metal chariots, iron chariots. Right. Yeah, and God can do uh, can do anything, yep. so an iron chariot is And so we do have that reference. Him. But here we have, as again, remembering the subtle phrases show us that everything was uh, descending order for following God's will and ascending uh, difficulties of of the battles that went to mm -hmm. where it was unfortunate, but the Danites are there. And do you have any other boxes on this section, Bill? I do. Uh, the, uh, uh, the In 36, uh, the place called Thela um, may actually okay. be Petra. Which is in modern-day Jordan. And where that great monument yeah. of, uh, sorry, but in uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, not Temple of Doom. <laughs> nope. No, I can't. Come on, you can do it. No, it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it's the third one. Last Crusade. Uh, Last Crusade. No, no. Oh, great. Now I've forgotten. But the edifice they showed the last where yes. they're going to look for the Holy Grail, 
that really does exist at Petra. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is more yeah. than just the yeah. outside facade. I always thought that was an out just outside only, but the producer of the nope. show was able to do some research and she found that there is actually a large hollowed out room area beyond that facade, but it doesn't go mm -hmm. whole. It certainly doesn't go back further like that movie shows uh, for where the uh, Holy Grail right. might've been. <laughs> it's just, a, it's important to point out that these yeah. areas exist and the fact that they can be relevant, but they yes. can also be misled too. All right. I am done with chapter one. Mm -hmm. According to my study Bible, the first five verses of chapter two should really be looked at with chapter one. So if we may, Bill, let's do that. Okay. Uh, and it's sure. heavenly angelic. Let us. Uh, points here in chapter two, in the first five verses. Would you mind reading verses? Uh, well, definitely, I'll go ahead, do all five of them. Okay. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and led you to the land which I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me, which is what you have, which that, what is this that you have done? So I also said, I will not drive your enemies out before you, but they will be like thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people raised their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochum, which means weepers, and they yes. offered sacrifices Thank you for to getting the, the weepers in there. Uh, mine didn't actually have it that way. So it was no like, man, they need to know that Bochum means weepers. The angel right. of the Lord here does not just mean any everyday angel. Because any everyday angel right. can't change what God has said. So understand, this angel of the Lord is truly the Lord. And yes, in Chaplain Bill's, and I think Bill III's mm -hmm. uh, beliefs, we're talking Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Son of God. Yeah. And I'm not going to change my mind on that. There is a calling together of these tribes. It has to be that way because it's not something that, oh, well, the angel of the Lord told Bill Hatch something. And you all are supposed to listen and accept it as gospel. No, God doesn't work that way anymore. Right. He works through the Holy Spirit and multiple people. When I hear a big voice in the sky that is not from a bunch of loudspeakers, and I hear something in English, and somebody in Russia hears a big voice in the sky, <laughs> and he's, uh, that voice is Russian, or 
How about China is a better example? China, that big voice is there and it starts speaking yeah. in all the different dialects of the Chinese at one time. It's God. And I look forward to a trumpet blast that we can all understand, but that's dealing with the second coming. Here, they have to be together. Right. And the angel of the Lord gives specific reasons. I made a promise with you, a covenant with you. You didn't keep your part of the covenant, so I'm not doing this anymore. And all these Canaanite groups that are Ammonites, Amorites, Jebusites, etc., that are still in the land are going to be a thorn to you because you need to stay faithful and you haven't been. And lo and behold, uh, this thorn in the side will cause you trouble and their gods will trap, entrap you. Uh, did that part and the, and the weepers uh, reference also. So we have this kind of statement. The people are truly unhappy, but lo and behold, it doesn't seem to change their attitude. Now, I personally believe that what's most important about these, this first chapter and five of chapter two is the fact that the Israelites start their descent into, can I say anarchy? Because they really are going falling you know, spiritually, okay. morally, uh, they're falling apart already. Instead of staying faithful to right. God. In our own country, we have the same kinds of issues. We started <laughs> off as a godly nation, but yet it was really not a very godly nation. <laughs> People came over for religious freedom, but they came over for religious freedom the way we think, not as overall Christians. Right. And it's amazing how many divisions there are of Christians. And yes, I will still count many a Catholic and even more than a few Mormons as examples who are really Christians while they're faith groups don't really follow all the Christian attitudes that the Bible professes. I don't have to say anything more on that. It's just the way we are continually degrading. But it is ultra sad that there are so many different groups of Catholics and Protestants. And they've gotten so far uh, for some of the silliest reasons in the world that we don't need to cover in this particular point because it's time to wrap up today's study. I would like to start with chapter two, verse six. It is. Next week. Next week. Sounds good. Okay then, gentle inquisitor, if you have come this far, perhaps you will come a little bit further and join us in this family we call Christianity. We do this not uh, with sacrifice because Jesus took care of that uh, once and for all on the cross uh, with his death and uh, in his resurrection. That, uh, um, that by, his, uh, by his blood, uh, we uh, can be forgiven and find entry into heaven. Um, 
We don't use magical spells or mystical ceremonies because that's not how we roll. Uh, some people consider the sinner's prayer to be like a magic spell. Well, that's just not true. The, these words aren't going to be any more effective uh, than, uh, than any other words um, if your heart has not changed. Um, you know, this is, this is an ab overabundance of, uh, of your heart is what, uh, um, is what you must say, is what you must have because, because the Bible says all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. And so we must, uh, we must change our hearts before, uh, before we speak the words. And so, uh, uh because the Bible also tells us that, uh, that, uh, that all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. Whether you've been a believer for a second or a century, um, you need to uh, get your heart right with God. And uh, um, and so we invite you all to say the sinner's prayer with us. And uh, um, yeah, and like we do every show at the end of every show. So uh, please join me. Uh, remember, these words are not in the Bible, so you don't have to say exactly the words, but. Uh, they are based on biblical principles, so uh, so stay close and uh, um, follow along. Dear Lord. And so uh, here we go. Dear Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Cleanse me of my wickedness. Cleanse me of my wickedness. Show me how to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And teach me. And teach me how to love my neighbor as myself. Guide my steps along the path you would have me take. And help me to do the work you have for the building of your kingdom. From me for your kingdom. Come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. And all these things we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. And there you have it. Well, uh, being uh, being as it should be about midweek, um, more or less, um, you should uh, go and find yourself a Bible-believing church with a Bible-preaching pastor um, and a lot of a uh, lot of strong Christians out there to help you uh, figure out what your next steps are going to be, because those are important. And because uh, uh, you got to keep moving, because this isn't the end; this is the beginning. And so, uh, so we should all be uh, moving forward. And uh, part of that will be coming back to uh, uh, to see other episodes of uh, of these shows. We have plenty of them for you uh, this coming week. Um, in fact, on Thursday, let's see, Thursday we will be having Rob Ekno, who uh, um, let's see, Rob uh, is an author uh, of Cruising Toward Heaven, navigating from rough seas to miraculous adventures, and Stacy Chalemi. Who uh, she's also uh, she's also an author, uh, she's also a speaker, coach, and podcaster. So uh, uh, so it should be an interesting conversation. And then uh, um, 
And then this coming Saturday will be uh, another episode of YWL Online's Anything Can Happen Saturday, in which we will be concluding our look at uh, Dr. John Barnett's 52 Greatest Chapters of the Bible with Revelations 2 and 3. And so, uh, um, so yeah, it should be a good one to conclude uh, that, uh, that uh, study. And uh, um, and then uh, on next Tuesday, we shall be looking at, uh, we shall be continuing our journey through the book of Judges, and we will be starting with chapter 2, verse yeah. 6. And go ahead and read chapters 2 and 3, please. Yep. <laughs> Don't think we'll get all the way through 3. Yes, we can for sure. Get started. There are so uh, short references in there. Yep. Yep, and they'll be good ones. So, uh, um, so go ahead and get to reading, and uh, then uh, oh, really left. Uh, that uh, concludes our episode for this week of uh, YWL Online's totally approachable Bible study for all. So I will ask you, uh, as I do, uh, I will do say God's blessing to, to the nice people. Bluff, Missouri. And God's and blessings for Rudy from will say, Santa Ana, Waka, Waka, California. Waka with the Lord. Um, yeah. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, have yourselves a wonderful whenever. And uh, remember to uh, stay safe out there, wash your hands, Amen. and stay tuned for the ending credits. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Bald Spots Productions. I'd like to thank my producer, my beloved mother, Eileen Hatch. I, of course, am your humble host. I would also like to thank my co-host, my beloved father, Chaplain Bill Hatch. I'd really like to thank my Ed McMahon, Rudy Corlew. Yes! Support the show if you feel so led. Over on Patreon.com, we're known as Bald Spots Pro. Don't you dare miss Not Quite After Midnight. You can find us on Facebook and wherever fine podcasts are offered. Please be sure to like, comment, and share. You know, subscribe, follow, whatever it is you've got to do to kick that algorithm into gear and help us reach more people. That is the point, after all. If you or someone you know needs support now, call or text 988 or chat 988lifeline.org. 988 is the Suicide and Mental Crisis Lifeline here in the States.